Wisdom Podcast. My name is Holly Weaver, and I'm the owner and operator of Rosebud Wellness, where I practice women's holistic health, utilizing acupuncture, Chinese herbalism, yoni steaming, and Arvigo abdominal massage. And I'm also a new mama. This podcast will be part information on women's holistic health practices that I use in my practice, and part conversations with women who are mothers or hope to be mothers on their journey through menstruation, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and motherhood. Please enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is brought to you in part by the Rosebud Wellness Shop. You can find us over at rosebudwellness.com shop. On the shop, you'll find six different Yoni Steam herb blends for a variety of different conditions. You can read specifically about all of the ingredients that are in the herbal blends, what you would use them for, and some specifics about the days of your cycle that you would use the herbs. There's also a video for an at-home steaming guide so that you can feel confident that you know what you're doing before you embark on this journey. But if you also don't feel so comfortable just starting on your own, you can also sign up for a consult with me, which is also available at the shop. So go ahead and check out rosebudwellness.com shop. All right, welcome back everybody to the Womb Wisdom Podcast. I am here today with Trisha Murray, and she is a birth doula, a perinatal anxiety and postpartum mental health worker. She also has a charity, which we didn't chat about in the, the pre-chat, but uh, she mentioned to me before for uh, perinatal mental health. And she works with anxiety. She works as an anxiety and trauma coach in her business. And her business has been very much informed by her personal experience. She has four children, two are twins that are 13, uh, a 12 year old. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, just a, a little one, a three-year-old. So welcome, Trisha. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Um, oh. Yeah, of course. I'm, I'm really excited to hear more about your story. Um, so to start, if you can just share, um, anything of note about your period history, um, when you first got your period, what it was like for you, what the conversation was um, around menstruating when you first got your period. Um, yeah, anything that you want to share about about your period history. Cool. It's such an interesting topic, isn't it? Because it's such a taboo. Like, it's such a taboo. It? I remember it being such a taboo with my mum, although she felt she'd been really open about mm-hmm. it and spoken to me about it. But actually, it's quite interesting being asked about it. Um, but my period started, um, it was the summer between, like, in the UK here we have, like, primary and secondary education, and it was that summer there between my primary school and moving to my secondary school, so I must have been about 11 and a half, it's in that summer there. And I remember we were, um, my mum's Italian, and I remember we driven to Italy that year, and we were staying with some friends up in the north of Italy, and my sister was up on the second or third floor of this house and I was in the garden and she was like what's that what's that brown stuff on your pants I was like what I was like no idea and I had my period and I had like 
no idea like what appeared what like really no idea but think actually but the reality appeared I think I knew that possibly I would bleed but didn't really know very much about it so um so and yeah and it was a really really heavy bleed actually and I remember you know showering in this you know our mum and dad's friends houses and there just been you know excess of blood and not really knowing how to hand how to handle it um, and you know, not be in your own sort of home either. Um, but you know, generally, probably like a lot of other women, you know, my cycles always were. Um, you know, I can remember my teenage year, years having like very heavy and very like painful periods. And periods I think just like, you know, for so many women have, you know, caused, you know, so many issues. Um, probably until um, I remember going to this, like room massage course. Like after I trained to make a birth deal, I went to like some room massage circle, and I learned about like room massage. And I think that that changed everything for me, as well as actually integrating emotional freedom technique into my life. And between the two, between the two, I think it, you know now my periods actually rarely, rarely cause cause me an issue. And I think being in tune with my cycles, which I think is something that we should all be taught before we actually even have our periods, but actually understanding about the different seasons of my cycle, I think have made a really big impact. So realizing like the impact of, you know, when I'm in my winter and trying to rest and when, you know, trying to match work and rest into my cycles I think has made a really significant difference but that's you know I'm about to turn I have to turn 43 so it's taken me a long time taking me a long time to get to get there yeah and so what you're talking about um is called cycle syncing where you kind of match the activities that you're doing both personally and professionally with where you're at in your cycle, mm -hmm. which is such a beautiful practice. And so much of, of our culture, which I think the UK is, is similar to America in this way, is just kind of like, we're the same every day. We have the same level of productivity, work our nine to five, which is very much based on like the male uh, circadian rhythm and um, doesn't really apply as, as well to the female body. Um, so this is not to be like anti-feminist or, or anything like that, but we do kind of have to approach our physiology in a little bit of a different way to stay aligned with, with, with what's happening and to stay healthy. Um, so I, I just appreciate you sharing that you had that experience yes. and how it's helped with your, you know, some of the, the period pain and PMS type things that women have are because um, this is not to like put blame on anybody, um, but yeah. it's because we're kind of like fighting against what's yeah. what's naturally occurring, the rhythm of, of nature. It's so interesting because I rarely, rarely get PMS, rarely. Yeah. But often like I'm maybe not even really aware and I just turn up to the toilet, my period's there and I've had no, like I know roughly my dates, mm -hmm. but apart from that, I didn't really know that my period was just about to like, you know, I've not had any pain or I've not had any moods, or I've not had any mood swings, or any of those 
those um those things um I think it is really interesting that it takes us such a long time before we actually learn really about our periods so yeah um, you know and there's some great information out there now but it's really sad that I think it's taking like 30 two yeah. years yeah to, to get to that sort of stage where I really understood you know the impact of our you know of our cycles yeah yeah and I think unfortunately it's a common common story mm-hmm. um so at this point if we can then go into fertility and trying to conceive your first child which ended up being children um but I mean I imagine that there was a period of time where you were trying to conceive naturally and then you decided to move into IVF. So if you can just kind of talk us through that experience, how long you were trying naturally, if you tried some other methods uh, prior and, and how that all went. Absolutely. So we, um, so I don't think we really thought anything about it. I just think that we thought we would fall pregnant. It would be really straightforward and there would be no issues whatsoever, like probably the vast majority of people and, you know, you spent so much of, you know, your time together as a couple trying not to fall pregnant, that actually it's such a shock when you, when you can't fall pregnant. Um, so my, I met my husband when I was 20, so we were quite young. So we're still together now, so we've been together for like, obviously 23 years. Um, and so I met him when I was 20 and we got married when I was 24. And when I was 26, we thought we would try for, you know, try for our family and um, just nothing, nothing happened. (laughs) Just, you know, there was no, um, there was no pregnancy. There was no, um, there was no losses, you know, really lucky in many ways that there was no losses, but just let you understand, understand why we couldn't fall pregnant. And I had had a bit of stress, like my gran had died and I'd had like other sort of things going on in my life, but nothing that is you know was you know it's you know anything to um to really think you know to really sort of think about nothing major it was just normal sort of life stresses so eventually went to the doctor I think after about 18 months and everybody kept saying oh just calm down just relax just relax what'll happen I remember just hating that that you know that term like all my family members would say just relax it'll just happen it'll just happen just relax and actually we'd been relaxed for quite a long time like I'd been relaxed the whole of that first year not really thinking about it too much and just thinking well it can take up to a year for it to happen so not really actually been unrelaxed actually being quite relaxed about the whole thing and it was about a year before we took our first ovulation kit I hadn't really I sort of thought you know we're quite young you know it'll happen etc etc and um anyway so so long story short we eventually went to the doctor and then went through all the different fertility tests and actually there was nothing really significant in either of our like histories that actually um, pointed towards there being any reason and because we we're both quite young and we we're both doing really well in our careers we just thought actually we'll just let it go a little while maybe go on lots of nice holidays and and then when we're 30 we'll book, we'll book in so I think the whole that whole sort of process you know it's not a short time is it to go through you know but you know by the time we got the referral to the local um, fertility clinic and we got all the different tests done you know, it was another good maybe 
I can't remember the actual dates now, but I feel it was like almost like another year. It was almost like two and a half years by that stage. So I think we thought we'd wait until, you know, we're 30. And so we often had lots of really lovely trips. I went to Thailand for a month and just had like a really, like, really nice couple of years together of just really nice things with the understanding that if that was still a situation when I was 30 that we would then go forward for IVF and we did and it, straight away it worked you know first time it it worked we were very 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 lucky um you know I've worked a lot with people going through fertility and I think we were just exceptionally lucky that it worked so quickly but obviously it was a whole four years almost of um uncertainty of not falling pregnant of grief you know whilst you never have your baby to to lose you lose the baby every month you know in terms of emotionally you're constantly losing that attachment to that what if that what if that baby could you know what if it would happen that month you know and um, so it was quite a big you know, it was, it was a huge part of our of our life and our relationship, you know, and it does absolutely test you <laughs> without, yeah. um, you know, until you've been through it, I don't think you can really understand the impact it has on every part of your life and relationship with each other, relationship with other people, relationship with the world, because you start avoiding things, putting, you know, you avoid people, you avoid places, you avoid um engaging people you just end up isolating yourselves more and more and more because the world becomes a very painful place to be yeah I mean and I think especially at that time of your life once you're in your like late 20s early 30s you know everybody around you seems to be getting pregnant and having babies and it yeah it's a really hard time and I, I'm sure that people well I'm not sure but I imagine that people are probably like when are you guys gonna have a baby yeah. You know, um, I, I, that's part of the purpose of this podcast is to raise awareness around things that maybe aren't so supportive to, to say to other people and couples yeah. um, when you don't know like exactly what's going on with them. Maybe it is something that they're working towards, but, you know, are having some fertility issues or things like that or miscarriages. Yeah. Um, and that just relax thing is so common in all things around women's health, which is so frustrating. It's just such a dismissive thing <laughs> to say. Um, mm -hmm. And as somebody that works with fertility myself as an, as an acupuncturist, I mean, I know that stress is a component, but it's so important not to just make it about like, oh, well, if you could just relax to put the blame on, on the other person on that person, um, that if they could just relax, everything would be just fine. Um, it was actually a really comical thing to say, because actually I wasn't a particularly unrelaxed person. And actually it was, you know, <laughs> it was it was just one, I think it was just life. It was just one of those things that for some reason it just didn't happen. It just wasn't happening, you know? Yeah. And, and I think And I think those sort of statements are really unhelpful. And then I'd find myself actually when I was confronted with people that I would tell them what was happening before they asked me because mm -hmm. I was so scared of being caught off guard. So then what happens is then you're too open, you know, you don't have any boundaries. You just tell everybody what's going on. Oh, you know, we've been doing this. This has been happening rather than actually be able to decide when you want to tell people mm -hmm. or not, because that part of you becomes in fear of being blindsided and somebody asking you 
at a time when you're not able to manage that conversation so, yeah. so you're constantly telling people you know what what is happening so that nobody asks you that question because actually if they were to ask you at a time that you weren't in control of how would you be able to manage it so so there was a lot of that going on which I've only been able to realize in um in retrospect mm-hmm. yeah I think that makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. So, and then how did that pregnancy go? You found out you were pregnant with twins. Um, I mean, that in itself was quite interesting because actually yeah. when we went for our scan at seven weeks, our HCG level wasn't that high. So I think they just thought there was like one baby. So they scanned really quickly and they're like, well, there's like a heartbeat. And I was like, well, I put two embryos on for his other one. Don't know, it just disappeared somewhere. Mm. Um, and I was ill. I was so, so, so ill. I couldn't breathe. We went then to London to see some friends. It was like absolutely horrific. Like, you know, we're having to go out and meet with people and meet people. And, you know, it was one of my husband's like very good friend. The first time I met, I met his his um girlfriend, now wife, she's absolutely lovely. And I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> I was just like, like what has she met? This like woman who's just like absolutely so ill you know and like literally having to like hide in a hotel room for so much of that um that trip down because I was so ill came back um had to go to emergency services because I was so ill so I couldn't breathe I had like no ability to like I just couldn't get enough oxygen in and I'm going to a coffee shop and this man feeling so sorry for me that he just literally was like bringing me over like three cups, three cups of like herbal tea and like told me to like not move um, because I was so poorly. Um, so, um, so anyway, so, um, so yeah, so by the time we got back, my husband was like, I wonder if it's actually two babies in there. I was like, I don't think there is. Like, I was, I was like, I think it's just pregnancy. And been very well, and then twelve weeks found out that we're actually having twins. That actually, the second embryo had actually survived, and actually there was two babies coming. And for me, like I know for a lot of people, maybe having twins is like a really frightening thing. But for us, I was like so elated, like to be having to, like so elated to be having these two babies. Like mm-hmm. you know, we'd waited like four years and not had any success whatsoever, and then suddenly to have these two babies, I was just like. I just couldn't like I just like even now like just that feeling now was just like absolute elation there was nothing back in my head thinking of how you're going to manage how you're going to cope it was just like absolute like uh, just sheer and utter elation um and that pregnancy was fairly difficult until about 20 weeks I was fairly ill until about 20 weeks and then 20 weeks, don't know exactly when, but started to feel a lot better. Um, and I had a really good pregnancy after that, you know, a really straightforward pregnancy. Um, and then I got to the time of caffeine birth and I really was very keen on having a vaginal birth. I'd done a lot of research on vaginal births, like for twins. I'd like, looked up like twin home births. I had contacted like independent midwives to see whether they would come. So we didn't have any independent midwives at that time in Scotland, but contacted two in England to come up to Scotland to see whether they would come and support like a home birth. Um, that wasn't didn't go ahead obviously, um, and then ended up that actually one of the placentas was actually low, um, which I think we knew about, but thought it might move, but it didn't move, and. Uh, both the twins were actually both breached so 
the decision was made that at 38 weeks, um, which at that time was really how long they would let you, <laughs> that term, they would let you um, just date for. So, um, so I because of, because of twins or twins. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. because they were breached or that, that didn't really factor in. Um, well, the hospital policy now would be that even if it was a singleton at 39 weeks, they would probably would take you in the first as a year. Oh, so wow. that's hospital policy, but really it's always your choice, isn't mm-hmm. it? So it's always your, well, I'd, you know, obviously in the States it's slightly different. But well, yeah, I mean, you definitely have to really, really advocate for yourself. Yeah, yeah. the same here. Yeah, you have to really know yourself. So, and actually I think by that stage, actually, I was getting pretty fed up because I couldn't really walk more than a couple of hundred metres without having to sit down because I was so big. Mm-hmm. So, and I had like two seven pound twins, two seven pound babies. So they wow. were big, big babies, yeah. you know, for two of them. So, totally. so yes, yeah, so I was really, I think actually by that stage, I think I was fairly happy just to get them out of me. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So that was, uh, that was that experience. So you ended up having a scheduled yeah. C-section. Okay. Yeah. 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 Planned. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to say, and although not elected, which is like a horrible term, because I don't think anybody really elects it, or not many people elect to have a C-section. I certainly didn't elect it. It certainly wasn't really what was on the cards for me. Right. Yeah. It was because you had breach twins yeah. and there was no other options. Yeah. Yeah. And I still you. think now, after all my training and birth, I still think that was the right birth for them. That mm-hmm. view has never, ever, ever changed. I've never sat in rooms and thought, actually, because, you know, I had a low line placenta. They were both breech. Um, yeah, I think it was just the right decision for that, that specific birth. Yeah. And so then how was the postpartum phase with, with twins? Um, did you have a lot of support around you or any support or anything that you noticed at that time? Because I think it was after your third child that you kind of had more of what we'll be getting into a little bit later. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. um, so after, my, after my twins, I didn't really have any support really in place apart from my husband. But we did have family around, both of our families were both around. They'd pop in and out and they'd help for a few hours here or there, but not really, not really um, hands on support. Mum and dad were still working. Um, in-laws had their um, daughter had her child, so they were quite busy looking after um, her and her child. So didn't really have a huge amount of help and support. But I have to say, right from day one, I think, you know, that's one of the lovely things about having twins is that there's never really you don't really ever have enough hands. So my husband just had to help. There was no, there was no discussion about it. There was, I never had to say, look, can you help? My husband was just like, absolute, like he was just like an absolute legend. Like he was just, you know, I was really, really lucky. And and mum would say, you know, I've come around to help, but there was nothing to do because he'd done it all. Like he'd put all the washes in, done all the washing, done all the tidying. I'd just done things when I was feeding the, the babies. Like he had, he just did everything. So, um, so I was really lucky in terms of um, help. Like I managed to breastfeed. I managed to breastfeed my twins until they were 13 months, which was amazing. Um, breastfeeding was really tricky. 
and I had an amazing woman um, who worked for like a local charity, who's who, sorry, volunteered for a local charity and she came in and she she um, changed everything for me. So I was really lucky, um, really. What lucky. did she do in particular? Was it like a position thing or? So I was trying to tandem feed twins. So at first, when I first had them, like I would just feed one at a time, mm-hmm. which was great. But then my husband went back to work when they were like four weeks old. And actually I realized I just couldn't really do that I just couldn't really feed one at a time so I had to really feed them both at the same time otherwise like it was just a total disaster and like one would be screaming and the other one so actually I just realized like I had to think I'm not particularly routine person not particularly do routines and schedules like that's it's not me it just it it was never me before I had children definitely not me after I've had children so um, but I realized I had to sync them whatever happened like they had to be synced like I'm not a very organized structured person but those babies had to have everything happening at exactly the same time so they had to be fed at the same time they had to be changed at the same time it didn't matter what time of the day it was but everything that happened to one happened to the other at exactly the same time so they would sleep at the same time feed at the same time get changed at the same time everything would happen at the same time so um so she came around to the house and she um, she was really interesting actually because I thought she would come in and she would like sort it all out and she would fix it all and she didn't she just sat and she observed and she just sat and she observed a full feed and then she explained to me like what was happening in terms of like positioning so basically about getting the baby's mouth because by this point one of my nipples was really bleeding badly blisters all over it mm. I, you know it was really painful and she just really supported me to get like their latches on um, at a good angle. Like they were like they were off angle because I was trying to tandem feed them. They're like mouse mice were like off angle, which meant that the nipple was touching the hard part of the mouse, not the soft part of the house mm-hmm. because, mouse because of how they were pulling on it. So it was just really simple adjustments. So like I had a breastfeeding cushion. So I don't know if you've ever seen like a twin breastfeeding cushion, but I had a twin Mm -hmm. breastfeeding cushion. So it's like a horseshoe shape that you put under, like so you put it around your stomach. And like, but the problem is, is that the babies are quite heavy and they sort of fall off it. So what was happening was they were latching on fine, but during the feed, they were like sort of starting to pull off it. So she just like put cushions like underneath the pillow and that was it (laughs) like that was it and and so you know so actually it was such a such a simple adjustment but it literally just sorted everything out but she didn't try and come and fix straight away she just actually observed she was just amazing and actually I don't think Cynthia probably realizes but actually that like half hour that she spent with me or hour that she spent with me has probably influenced my practice so much in terms of working with mums because actually rather than just like dashing in trying to fix everything is actually spending a bit of time stepping back and actually observing like what's happening getting a feel for what's happening before and I think that's you know we're so keen aren't we just to get you know feel useful and get stuck in and do x y and z but actually sometimes the most helpful thing you can actually do is just actually step back and just inquire to what's happening inquire to what what it might be spend a bit of time just optimizing what's already there rather than trying to start everything from scratch so um it's really helpful so she was amazing 
that's great that you had that that experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there you go. Yes. Very lucky. <laughs> and so then you conceived again pretty quickly. Um, were yeah. you trying to conceive? No, not at all. No. Okay. <laughs> so what had happened was, you know, I sort of joke about this, but it's it's actually the truth. Um, it's like I don't actually really, really remember conceiving because I think it was the first night I'd really stopped breastfeeding. It's a Saturday night. It must have happened then because it had, you know, we'd had a couple of just too many glasses of wine. You know, and that and that was it. You know, and I fell pregnant. You know, it was crazy because it spent like four years not drinking, not having tea and coffee, not drinking alcohol, not doing all the things that you're not meant to do when you're trying for a baby. And this time, I hadn't thought about any of it. And I was really convinced that I wasn't pregnant because I thought it must have been because I just stopped breastfeeding. So I knew my period was late, but I thought my period was like I just stopped breastfeeding mm-hmm. rather than my period was late. Although my periods had returned from the twins for eight or nine months, I thought my period was late because my, like, because I Yeah, I mean, during, while you're breastfeeding, like, things can be really wonky and hard to track. Yeah. Yeah. So you were just thinking it was just your hormones kind of being crazy. Yeah. I thought my, like, hormones were crazy. And then I remember Mm -hmm. walking into, like, I remember walking to the chemist, like, one lunchtime, and I was like, do you know what? I'm just going to get a test. Just going to get a test just gonna get it and it's probably gonna be negative and I'm not gonna tell Alistair about it I just go into the, go into the shops get a test that is it like I remember going back to work taking the test and being like oh my god <laughs> like I cannot believe that I'm pregnant and I was pregnant you know and I, th- I think for four years I tried to fall pregnant nothing had happened and I'd taken like hundreds of tests and it'd all be negative and I just presumed that this would be another one of these tests that would be negative as well. But no, and I was actually, by that stage, I'd have been, I think, six weeks pregnant. You know, I'd have been, you know, six weeks gone without, I didn't really know because my period was two weeks late. And I just hadn't really believed that that's what it could have been. So. And were you feeling really sick again or or not so much because it was interesting it wasn't twins. It was interesting because as soon as I walked into the chemist, I knew that I, 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 I smell everything smelled different. And I remember thinking, I'm just imagining that. I'm just imagining that's not true. That's just my brain just playing tricks on me. I'm just imagining that I am pregnant, but I'm not. I'm just imagining everything smells different, but I'm not. I'm just imagining. That those languages make me feel nauseous because I'm not pregnant. I, I cannot possibly, cannot possibly be pregnant. And so you, then you found out you were in fact pregnant. Um, yeah. And so how did that pregnancy go? Were you feeling? It was a really straightforward pregnancy. It was a really straightforward pregnancy. I felt amazing. I felt I was glowing. I felt great. It was a really good, really, really good pregnancy. Nothing at all to report. I had quite a big bump. Um, and I, I was determined for vaginal birth that that pregnancy and then uh, he got to be in two weeks after his due date and he was still quite happily tucked up inside and then um went to hospital and they um they were like well you know by this stage I think he must have had like four sweeps or five sweeps like a lot of sweeps 
to try and get things moving and my midwives were really on my side they were really trying to encourage this baby to come but nothing, they were coming to the house to do sweeps like every couple of days um they were really supportive just nothing happened so I went to hospital and um and I had another cesarean because it looked like nothing nothing was happening so were they trying did they ever try to induce you with medications or they you didn't no. want to do that well actually um it's quite interesting because so he's just about to turn um he's about to turn 11 and mm-hmm. um, so he's just about to turn 11 so he um so 11 years ago like they wouldn't have if they could have accessed the waters they would have then possibly done like put pastries in and tried to induce me mm-hmm. but they wouldn't have used Oh no, they would use the hormone drips, but not the pastries. That's right. Got it. Okay. But now they would have the Foley catheter, which they didn't have like mm-hmm. eleven years ago. Oh, so interesting. I okay. I don't, have the, I don't know if they have the Foley catheter. Do they have the Foley catheter in the states? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the, so the Foley catheter wasn't around like eleven years ago. So basically, it was like if we can't get in and we can't access your waters, then like literally there's no there's nothing yeah. yeah okay if that had happened now I would have had the fully catheter put in mm-hmm. okay yeah because if you've had a previous cesarean it's got to do with the so if your contractions start too quickly it can cause you to rupture mm-hmm. so, yeah um, that's and that's why they usually push for if you've had a cesarean to, to do it for the rest of your pregnancies too unless you kind of advocate for for a VBAC. Well, it's quite interesting actually because um the the chances of you having a vaginal birth is the same as a first time mum. Mm. So it doesn't actually change. Like so if you look at a lot of the research, like your research is that the chances of having a vaginal birth after a VBAC, after a cesarean are just mm-hmm. the same as any first time mum. So it doesn't really influence your um it doesn't really influence your success like your success rate. Obviously Second time mum had a vaginal birth, first time round, like has like a 90, 95% chance of having a straightforward vaginal birth second time round. Mm-hmm. But second time round, like your chance of having a vaginal birth are like 75, 80%. Oh, yeah. If, if you're encouraged to have a vagina, if you're, if you're, um, you know, if you decide to go down, down that route. But yeah, you are already 42 weeks and yeah. And, not, and none of the, the methods they were trying were, were getting you there. So. Yeah, and also, like, I didn't know, like, Holly, about, like, ac- acupuncture. Yeah. I didn't know about things like that. I didn't know about acupuncture. didn't know about any of those things. didn't know about, like, reflexology. didn't know about any of those things. Like, I didn't know anything whatsoever. Like, anything. Like, you know, and, and my third pregnancy was completely different. Like, you know, I had like, acupuncture like almost every week. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like I had kinesiology like all the way through. Like everything was like completely different. Like I used emotional freedom technique myself. I worked an EFT practitioner um, to go through like my own anxieties and worries about the birth. Like I did, like, and I remember coming out of my, um, a certain name was pregnant, coming out of my acupuncture appointment and I knew that everything had changed like I knew that baby was coming and actually four days later my waters went naturally so at 39 like I think I just turned 39 weeks you know I can't I think I must go at 30 and a half weeks and 39 weeks on the dot my waters went you know 
Well, and that's that, yeah, a plug for acupuncture for sure. Yeah, it's really, and I, throughout my pregnancy, got acupuncture pretty regularly, especially near the end. Um, There's definitely people that will come and see me, you know, like after they're already past their due date or like at 39 weeks or something. Um, And it's not as effective as if you're getting it kind of all along and just like keeping not to say like keeping yourself relaxed, but keeping yourself relaxed, um, keeping circulation going and sort of like opening things up gradually. And one of the things that I observed while I was getting acupuncture during my pregnancy is that she would move a lot. Like she seemed to really enjoy that stimulation. Did you notice that too? Well, I I did a bit, but that night after I went, Mm -hmm. so I think it must be like 38 and a half weeks of Saturday and I went into labor on the Wednesday morning. My water's wet on the Wednesday morning. That night, like Arthur didn't stop moving that whole night. And it was like, I couldn't sleep that night. And I remember we'd booked a hotel, like we'd booked a night away in a hotel and it was like we had to be like our last night, just the two of us in this hotel room. And I remember like we went away to this like hotel room, like we had a really nice dinner and I went upstairs and I was like, I've had acupuncture today, I'm gonna have a really good sleep. Always have a good sleep after acupuncture. I didn't sleep a wink that whole night. I was still awake at half past three in the morning. Like that hadn't been issue in that pregnancy. I'd had a great pregnancy. I'd slept really, really, really well. And the hotel was lovely. It was this, like huge, like four poster, beautiful, beautiful bed. And I couldn't sleep. And it was that acupuncture. And I always say to Lena, like, honestly, like, I, you know, whatever you did that day just changed everything. And I knew, and I got in the car and it's going day, and I knew that my body had changed. But I was so in tune with my body, which I hadn't been in my first two pregnancies. I hadn't been in tune with it at all. Didn't know anything, but after my second pregnancy, I trained to be a, I retrained to be a doula because I was so upset that I'd had another cesarean. I was so angry that day because I was like, I felt like I'd had no choice. Nobody really spoke to me about different options. And I remember when I found out that this, that literally the only choice that was presented to me was to have another cesarean, I sure was feeling such a failure and I couldn't stop crying. And whilst I was delighted to have a baby, I just couldn't stop crying. I just couldn't stop crying because it wasn't the birth that I'd wanted. Like I'd spent like nine months determined to have this vaginal birth and then it was all taken away from me. And I felt like I'd spent nine months like visualizing him coming out. There wasn't as much hypnobirthing as, as there is now. So hypnobirthing wasn't really a big thing, but I just spent all this time like visualizing my baby coming out of me, having a vaginal birth, all of that. So so I retrained for a birth doula to support people and particularly around like feedbacks and difficult births and after birth trauma. And um, so yes, my third pregnancy, I spent a lot of time doing all that lovely like acupuncture type stuff, like went to kinesiologist, did like a lot of EFT, did everything. And it's a totally different pregnancy, but also I was like so in tune with my body. I knew, like I just knew everything that was happening to it. It was a completely, you know, like, like we're not taught stuff are we when we're like young and growing up we're not we're not taught about any of these things but actually these things are so like like you know you know these things are so important yeah and I think a lot of people actually never even have the opportunity to learn they maybe have a traumatic birth and really never uncover um that there are these tools available that I mean, not to say that, yeah, that could help them to to work through 
through that experience. Um, yeah, to feel a little bit more, um, yeah, okay with it. I, I mean, that's not really the right mm -hmm. word, but um, so uh, I just want to go back to mm -hmm. after your your third was born, after your second pregnancy. When did you identify that you had what you now know was postpartum anxiety? Um, and, and you said that you had a nervous breakdown. Can you kind of talk us through? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like what that looked like. And then also like definitely, um, which you've alluded to a little bit, like some of the treatment modalities that you used that were most helpful. Um, and yeah, I, I guess I'm also curious to know, was it like the overwhelm of like, oh my gosh, I have three young children. Was it kind of like beating yourself up about the birth or um, a, probably a combination of those things, but yeah. Okay. So yeah, and actually, the birth actually ended up being quite difficult because they couldn't actually open me. So one of the issues I had was they actually had to go off and get about 20 different people to come into the room and they were getting more and more senior because they couldn't actually unstitch whatever the mess that they'd done the for after the first birth. Mm -hmm. But the first birth was like, ended up being quite an emergency. So I think they'd, they'd stitch me up quite quickly and quite rapidly because bleeding, there was like hemorrhaging quite badly. Mm -hmm. So I think the second birth, they actually healed physically the, the scar very, very well. But actually, mm -hmm. I think actually emotionally, I think it was quite a difficult birth. Um, you know but um but anyway in terms of so I always like really thrived in the first days of motherhood like I always really 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 thrived so I know that that isn't necessarily normal for everybody and I've worked with many people who haven't thrived in those first few days but actually I've always thrived in that first like the fourth trimester yeah it's been difficult yes I haven't said yes I've cried yes I've thought oh my god what have I done but I've always actually really 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 thrived in that bit the bit that I found really difficult um after the first after my twins and again after I had Arthur actually um after I had Vincent um was actually when my periods returned and um and I'd stopped breastfeeding them so so much so um and there's actually quite like a significant amount of research um, that, that shows that when you're, you're reducing how much your milk you're producing, obviously you're reducing how much oxytocin you're producing and how much mm -hmm. prolactin you're producing, that actually mental health issues can come in then. It's like weaning anxiety, like weaning, like, um, uh, like obviously it's not weaning completely because I, I was still feeding, but it's the reduction of feeding because they're starting to, they're eating foods, they're eating solids. Um, so um, so after the twins, like I definitely had quite a significant spell from when they were eight or nine months until I went back to work and until I stopped breastfeeding. And the same thing happened again after I had Vincent. But the thing that time round was I also had two, two and a half year old twins I had two and a half year old twins. I had an eight month old baby and it was just like absolutely horrendous. Like it was just like the intensity of looking after these kids essentially on my own. There was like grandparent um, input. My husband is really hands-on. Like it's not the fact that he wasn't hands-on, but you know, when I went back to work after I had the twins, like I was back at work like three days a week. Now in here it's different from the States, like we get a whole year off. I think in the States it's like 
six weeks or three months is that yeah it's absurd yeah six weeks so (laughs) so like here in the UK like get like a year off so I went back from the twins for about a year um, and I really liked coming back at work three days a week because I felt like a really good balance and I got a break from them got a break from being a (laughs) mum I felt like myself again but um so when so when Vincent was that age um so he was like eight or nine months old and the twins were like two and a half and it was just really 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 hard you know two-year-olds are really hard that age two and a half to three is like the hardest age like I would happily away my children for a year and then to get them back when they're like three three and a half because it's so much nicer um it's just a really 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 hard age so I had two of them at that age and I had Vincent and I started off like having like recurrent ear infections so like I'd get an ear infection and then I'd get another one and another one and then my ear started perforating but then they didn't stop perforating so they still were like producing like liquid like after weeks and weeks and the doctor was like well they're just not healing they're just not healing and actually my body just wasn't healing because it was just so overwhelmed um looking after them um and then I ended up just getting to the point where I just actually couldn't physically get out of bed like I was physically stuck in bed like the only way I can ever describe it is like my whole it was like a nervous breakdown like I understand what that I understood what that term was because I couldn't move like I couldn't move out of bed I couldn't walk upstairs I couldn't get in the car couldn't get out the car like I remember trying to get money one day at like an ATM and like like just being unable to open the door to walk across the street to go to the ATM Mm. it was just like it was like something unbelievable like like if somebody else had told me that I wouldn't have believed them or if somebody else had told me that they couldn't like that they couldn't like um that couldn't go for a walk I wouldn't believe them like I used to think like mental health was like people who didn't walk didn't exercise what I didn't realize was actually for me mental health was like getting dressed was like running a marathon it was like that is like how I could that is like how I would equate it it's like if I could get up and I could get dressed that was like all I could achieve that day but it took me um so anyway so in terms of like how it got better like in here we've got like health visitors so I think I think it's like I don't know exactly what they're what they are over there but basically it's somebody who's like a nurse and they check in on you and your baby and they check to make sure that your baby is growing it was like a ped it's not really a pediatrician uh, yeah like a pediatrician kind of no no it's like a nurse okay. who comes to your home and they check that your baby's thriving, that you're thriving. Like they kind of they check that your baby's like putting on weight. Mm-hmm. They check that you don't have any mental health issues, all of that. So I known Fiona all the way from when I'd had my twins. So I knew her really, 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 really well. And I remember phoning her up and explaining to her like what was going on with me and explaining the scenario. And she said, oh, Do you know what? I'll come round and see you. So Friday afternoon. She came round before she went to see anybody else on the Monday. She popped, like, so she came early to work to come and see me on that Monday. And she was like, you just write everything down. So it was like a book for her to explain, like, all the different things that I was feeling from all the, like, rage and anger and irritability to all the not be able to get out of bed. Because I'd oscillate between these two different things. So the rage and the anger to, like, try and control my children in some way. And then, like, the, 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 the shutdown 
afterwards because I couldn't like there's only so much that you can manage so Mm -hmm. I didn't understand that at the time either like I didn't understand what was happening I understand it now um so I spoke to I spoke to her and she was like you know you need to go see the GP so I went to the G like the doctor um so I went to see the doctor and the doctor was like right you need to go on medication and it took me about three months from that day to actually go on medication because I was so ashamed mm. of mental health I was so ashamed about needing the medication I was so ashamed about it I thought I'd never I would never be able to get off it I had like such a fear of like medication like I had such a oh it was horrendous so and I waited for talk therapy from so like like again in the UK we've got like the National Health Service so it's like free support that we get so I had to wait for this talking therapy never thinking that I could just organize it myself with somebody because you're so vulnerable you don't really think in that way you just think you have to wait for whatever it is that the NHS gives, gives you you don't really think that you can take decisions yourself so I am um, so I went to medication eventually got my um counseling started in the April and I actually went back to work in April which I think was actually the big like, I think more than the counseling more than the medication going back to work in the April was the thing that actually changed everything for me so um so I think going back to work was like the really like the big turning point for me so I was on medication for about 18 months um almost two years on medication um I um I did CBT I then went to CBT to a different CBT therapist was actually very good the first one wasn't particularly great but the second one I went privately and she was brilliant it was like night and day um from the 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 person who had been allocated to me she was absolutely brilliant and still very very grateful for her and she um and I went back to see her when I when I came off medication so coming off medication I've never tells you how difficult that process is but actually went back to see her but the other thing I found at that time was a thing called emotional freedom technique EFT and actually somebody gave me the book it was like Nick Ortner's book like the tapping solution or somebody recommended it and I remember like suddenly being able to take control of my moods being able to take control of things and it just made such a huge difference but you asked me when I started to realize that I actually had anxiety and not depression and actually I remember at this sort of stage like I um set up a group like I set up a perinatal mental health group with my friend, with my friend Lauren and it's called Juno so we set up Juno perinatal mental health support and I remember running these groups and so we were running them as peer support so like Lauren and I had both experienced like depression and weirdly both of us when we were running these groups actually realized that we both had anxiety and actually um and actually when I think back to it, actually realized I've had anxiety on and off my whole life it wasn't just when I became a mum that I'd had it all the way right back you know I can remember as a teenager having these bouts of anxiety I even think as a child at times having these bouts of anxiety so and people were sitting there in these circles talking about their anxiety and I was like what is this anxiety like 
like what like this noun it wasn't like a description of how they were feeling this like it's not I'm feeling anxious it was this noun my anxiety and I was like what is this like this thing you're talking about and I just remember sitting there listening and I was like oh my god I've got that I've got that right now actually <laughs> I've, got, I've got this feeling right now in my stomach I've had it for for like years like what is this and then understanding about it I realized I'd actually been so hyper vigilant when I first had my children like I thought they were going to choke to sleep I was so worried about getting breastfeeding right mm-hmm. so worried about you know could sleep at night because I thought they were going to choke to sleep I remember waking up and thinking are they still alive if they fell asleep beside me I remember thinking my god they're going to die I'm going to kill them like the intrusive thoughts the it's really 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 scary you know um all sorts of things like like being so like worried about the state of my house in case that somebody judged me or somebody thought something of me but it's the detriment of my relationship with my children you know just absolutely crazy crazy stuff had been happening and been happening for years and not really realizing it so when I look back on that like I look back on the start of that nervous breakdown I actually think that nervous breakdown had been because I'd been in adrenaline for like three years and I had just been living off adrenaline for three years and I think my body was like that is it so mm-hmm. I don't think it was depression I think it was adrenaline I think adrenaline for three years and my body was like absolutely no more and either you have a choice to rest or else your body takes over and it makes you rest and that's what happened yeah I can just hugely relate to everything that you just said um yeah that hypervigilance and adrenaline that can sometimes be paralyzing at at certain points you know where it's you would think this hypervigilance would manifest as like doing and doing and doing but but eventually it ends up in just kind of feeling really paralyzed that there's nothing that you can do or everything just seems so overwhelming Mm -hmm. Um, I mean I was I was manic I was like absolutely manic like you know, I look back and I was like, like, oh, I just like I've got like five hundred episodes, like five hundred things I could talk about, and actually, I could be here like all night talking to you. Mm. But it's just so many things. I look back and I think, oh my goodness, like that's the way it was. So yeah. So and you've you've talked about emotional freedom technique um, a, a few times, and so I'm. Well, actually, maybe it would be good now to transition into um, how you work in your business with people, um, which I presume like the, the things that you use with other women are, are some of the things that you used after the birth of your first or, or your fourth child. Sorry. Um, that was like a really different experience and, and feeling like that, the, the tools that you were using at that time helped to have, to create a different story than what you experienced with the other three or after the other three. Um, so if you want to share more about emotional freedom technique, maybe, um, because I, I know a little bit about it, um, and maybe some of the listeners do too, but you can just describe it a little bit for anybody that's not familiar with it. Um, and the way that I've heard it or that I've used it before has been like, um, there's some sort of like statement, like, even though this is happening, I fully and completely accept myself. So I don't know if that's just like really 
basic. Um, no, so maybe if, if you perfect. could share like some of the things, uh, some of the um, statements that you used, um, just to provide like a, a specific example for people yeah. um, of so how it would be used. Yeah. Yeah, emotional freedom technique is like absolutely bonkers. Like the first time I came across it, I don't know if bonkers is an American word, but it like we know what it means. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like it's crazy. Yeah. And the first time I came across it, I was like, oh my god, what is this? It's like a totally crazy thing. Like you've seen it. Like you're like you're tapping in like various parts of like your like you're saying statements like even though I like even though this is like how I'm feeling. Um, and then it's like a balanced statement. Like I accept myself for this feeling. And it's like absolutely crazy. And like tapping on, like you're tapping on, on like the crown of your head, you're tapping around your eyes, underneath your eyes, under your nose, on your chest, and the divot in your chin, and like on your breast, strap underneath, you know, underneath your arm. It's a bit weird, like really is a bit weird, but it's such a, um, it's such a powerful um, therapy. And um, I came, I mean, I started tapping like eight or nine years ago and I, trained to be a practitioner like six years ago so I've been a practitioner for six years um five years sorry 2015 so yeah six six years ago I started Mm -hmm. training and um and um and it's a really 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 powerful approach because one because one what it does is it validates like how you're feeling like a lot of the time like we don't really stop to think how we're feeling I used it a lot after I had my third son um so, you know, if he wasn't sleeping or was awake a lot, a lot at night, I could feel like a part of me starting to catastrophize that I wouldn't be able to cope. Like I could feel a part of me like going, oh my God, it's good to sleep now. Like, how am I going to cope tomorrow? How am I going to manage other kids tomorrow? How's that going to be? Like, what's going to happen? You know, and like your thoughts just take it, just go away, aren't they? They're just, they just like start to like gather energy and they just sort of disappear off into this like huge, big, massive ball of like worry. So I'd find myself quite often just actually just stopping and as I was feeding him I would just start tapping like so even though like I'm really worried about what's going to happen tomorrow even though I think I can't cope you know I accept myself on my feelings and the truth is I can cope I've coped with worse I can cope with this and just really really focusing in on that ability that actually I could cope that I've done much 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 worse you know and that I've coped with much far worse than um, than dealing with him and between much older children. So, um, and it was it was really it was just such a powerful period that just like five or ten minutes of just stopping, gathering like my thoughts, tapping, just changed that whole postnatal experience to be something that was completely different. And you know, I was really worried about. I was anxious about being anxious. And actually that never manifested itself. It never, yeah, I had anxious moments and there was other things that happened, like a pandemic and other things that have happened that made me feel anxious 110%. But that overriding anxiety being there every single day didn't ever, like, didn't ever manifest itself. So yes, there was things that made me anxious, but having anxiety didn't happen. So it's a completely different experience. Um, and in terms of the work that I do with clients is that emotional freedom technique is part of the work that I do. It's not the only thing that I do. Um, you know, I, I work a lot with like internal family, like so I work a lot with parts, work a lot with um, 
really working with the nervous system, supporting the nervous system to to um, to regulate itself. You know, it's a really big part of anxiety. Anxiety work is really about regulation, starting to rationalise what's happening. You know, EFT is really helpful for that because it works really with the part of your brain that kind of controls anxiety or that kind of creates anxiety the amygdala so it really helps to regulate it but breath work and other tools are really helpful too so really working with both the mind and the body um when I work you know with people to support them with anxiety it's a much bigger program than just emotional freedom technique because what I found was actually having an understanding of anxiety and becoming really conscious of when anxiety arrived really helped me to start like really overcoming it you know an EFT is really good in the moment but actually having a much better understanding of why anxiety is there why it exists really working with that part of me that's anxious and really understanding it is like a is like a way to is, is a brilliant way to over like overcome it having the tools to manage it great but actually if you really want to get rid of anxiety you have to do enough more work than just emotional freedom technique or anything else it's 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 it's, it's a full understanding the body how thoughts work regulation um working with like your internal parts you know becoming really conscious about what's happening you know a lot of time we're not conscious about what's happening in our bodies aren't really conscious about what's happening around us like we have to get really conscious about it really really conscious about why you react situations in the way that you do you know what is it about that feels threatening so really starting to unpick a lot of that but emotional freedom is a really big part of my work yeah, so it sounds like a lot of the work is um, getting to like the root, the underlying, what's like underlying the day-to-day yeah. flare-up of, of anxiety or whatever the emotion is. Um, but then you also offer these other tools, like while, while you're kind of untangling all of that root stuff mm-hmm. to have something in the moment to, um, yeah, just kind of soothe the symptoms in addition to doing this deeper work too yeah yeah absolutely. yeah, yeah. And, really so, and underlying trauma as well especially you know most so many women have experienced birth trauma or perinatal trauma so mm-hmm. yeah, really working with that as well yeah um and so and you do online work or do you work only in person and um, all of my work is online it's been okay. online since the start of the pandemic it was online before the pandemic um, but it's all moved entirely online now. Um, and actually, I don't think it ever will go back to being in person because I found that, that people are in their own homes are more comfortable. Like, I think they're more relaxed. They haven't had to mm-hmm. rush to get to see me. They haven't t- had to rush, rush through traffic. I found the sessions to be just as good at, if not better than, than, than they were before. So I probably will never go back to working in person. Not yeah. sure. Never say never. Right, of course. Yeah. Um, and then do you still offer group programs or it's one-on-one? I, I do both. I do both, both. one-to-one okay. and pr- group programs. Um, I find the group programs really helpful, like having like a really structured approach to working together and a really structured approach to like to learning and, and you know progressing. Um, and I think there's something really powerful in a in a group that you know. It's a bit like, yeah, I had, I experienced that too. And it takes away the shame and the stigma. 
so it allows you to be a bit more vulnerable and it lets you get down to, down to the root of the issue much, you know, much quicker. I think somebody who's experienced a lot of trauma probably needs much more one-to-one -one support. So somebody's experienced a lot of trauma, whether it's in childhood, adulthood, around the perinatal period, then I would probably encourage them to think more about working in a one-to-one -one basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so at this point, if you'd like to share about where people can find you on your website or social media platforms where you're the most active, and I'll also link them in the show notes, but um, if you can just kind of verbally give us those. Super. So my website is really super simple, Trisha Murray with an I-C-I-A, Trisha Murray, like antimurray.co.uk, which is obviously the UK um, ending, and um Instagram is the place to find me on social media and it's Trisha Murray UK um, but I do work with people all over the world so I'm happy to work with people in the States or um, other parts of the world as well. Amazing well thank you for, for sharing all thank that. Um, thank you so much for inviting me Holly thank you. Yeah I mean I feel like there's so many other places we could go with this conversation <laughs> but um, we will uh, stop it here for today. Um, if there's anything else that you'd like to share that I haven't asked about, whether about your services or your own personal story, if there's anything else you want to share. No, it was great. Okay. I think I've shared enough. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've shared enough. Thank you so much, Holly. For yeah, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you'll be notified of future episodes as they're published. And also, if you feel so called, please give us a rating and a review to help other people to find the podcast more easily. Thanks again. Till next time.